Would you take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Proverbs, the book of Proverbs chapter 13, verse 11. We're continuing our series on finances and money. Probably a good time, especially as we come up to Black Friday, that we think about money a little bit before we get there. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 11 says this, dishonest money dwindles away, but whoever gathers money little by little makes it grow. Hope deferred makes a heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. Whoever scorns instruction will pay for it, but whoever respects a command is rewarded. We've been talking about money matters for the last few weeks. We talked about getting out of debt, and we ask you to imagine what it would be like if instead of spending 1100 or 1200 or 1300 or $1,800 or $1,800 for a mortgage, if you keep that money yourself, if instead of paying $400 or $500 or $300 for a car payment, instead of paying creditors, if you could keep all of that money for yourself and do what you wanted to do with it, we could begin by, to do some of the things that you've been dreaming about. I want to say this to you, that is not going to happen by chance, but it's going to come whenever you get a strategy and when you get a plan. Look to the person next to you and say, it's time for you to get a plan. Proverbs says this, Proverbs chapter six says this, it says, go to the ant, you sluggard. That doesn't make us feel very good, does it? Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. How long will you lie there, you sluggard? When will you get up from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a thief and scarcity like an armed man. Now, part of being master of your money involves this. When you're master of your money, what did we say to you last week? How we can tell whether or not we're the master of our money is this. Do I tell my money where to go or does money tell me where I can go? Do I tell money what it can do or does money tell me what I can do? Part of being master of your money is having the ability to tell your money where to go and what to do. What that really is, is a budget. Having money is when you start to take control of your money. Let me suggest to you that some people say, well, pastor, I'm not sure how to come up with a plan. You say that we need to have a plan. Well, I think we can look at the scripture and scripture will give us some basic principles. And so we want to help you today. The first thing that we do with our money is the first thing we do is we give 10% to God. Some people say, I can't give to God and ever get out of debt. They think that cutting their giving is the way to get out of debt. They think that cutting their giving is the way to get ahead financially. That's scripturally wrong. The Bible says that if you sow sparingly, you will reap sparingly. It says, give and it will be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over. It says that the measure you use to give will be the same measure that's given back to you. Haggai chapter 1 verse 6 says this. It says, you've planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. 
Why was that? The reason why it was is because they had neglected the house of God. They had neglected things that were of more importance. When you give, I'll open up the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing that you don't have room enough to contain it. The second thing we want to do is our financial plan, get a plan. The second thing we want to do is we want to minimize your living expenses. Dave Ramsey suggests that we take our credit cards and cut them up. But for you, maybe you could quit eating out so much. Maybe we could eliminate the recurring bills that come every month, the $15 a month, the $20 a month bill. Maybe the things such as magazine subscriptions or monthly membership fees. We could examine those things. Today, everybody has a cell phone, so perhaps you could get rid of your cell phone or cut back on your cable. Or when I was a kid, dad always said to us, turn the lights off. How many of you had a dad who said, turn off the lights? So you turn the lights off. In Lancaster County, you can shop at a discount grocery store. You can use coupons. Whatever you can do to lower your monthly expenses. I want to encourage you to do it in advance when you don't have to. Then it's fun. It's not fun when you got to cut things because you're forced to. It's not fun when you have to do it then. But when you have a plan and you say, I got a purpose, I got a mission that I'm on. There's something I plan on accomplishing. The third thing we want to do as far as our plan is you want to build an emergency fund. Now, what I've noticed is this. When you have money, you don't have quite as many emergencies. When you're broke and the washing machine breaks down, you have a crisis. It's a crisis. And if you get on Facebook, you'll find oftentimes that people write on, they'll write on Facebook about all of their crises. Would you stop and please pray? Could we please pray because my washing machine broke down. I don't have any money. And would everybody pray for me? And and everybody starts praying. We wouldn't have to pray near as much. Listen, we wouldn't have to pray near as much about, we could pray about things that are important. Wouldn't have to pray about your stupid washing machine. We wouldn't have to pray because, you know, your car needs $50 brakes. We wouldn't have to pray about that if we planned in advance. It's amazing. It's amazing a little bit of money put back on a regular basis, you will have a whole lot less stresses and you'll have a whole lot less crises. People won't know what to talk about on Facebook any longer. They won't have near as many things to complain about if we simply plan in advance. So you set back a little bit at a time and then whenever something went a difficult, you don't have near as many crises. You don't have near as many emergencies if you save a little bit at a time. So we set aside a little bit of money for emergencies and for crises that come up because they're going to come. The fourth thing that we're going to do in our plan, I want to encourage you to start paying off all of your debt. I want to encourage you to start thinking that it should be strange to have debt. It should be something that should... Because what did we say last week? The Bible says... That the borrower is a what? He's a slave to who? To the lender. The borrower is a slave to the lender. We found that Jesus came to set us free. He did not come to set us in bondage. And anything that takes us away from freedom and liberty really is sin of God. It's not what God, it's not God's best for us. So you say, Pastor, am I in sin because I got a credit card? No, I'm not saying that. But I'm saying it would be better if you were lending money out, if you were investing money and somebody paying you interest 
better than you paying them. So what if we begin to change the way that we think and we start thinking that I don't have to have credit card debt. I don't have to owe anybody anything except the debt of love. Well, how do I do that? How do I go about getting out of debt? How do I go about doing that? Well, you could sell. How many of you have stuff in your basement? You have stuff in your garage. You got stuff in your attic that was so important for you to get and and you worked and you borrowed to get it and it's been sitting there for months or for years and you never use it. Well, put it on Craigslist. Find a way to sell it. Get rid of it. Some of you are driving cars that you cannot afford. You're driving vehicles that you say, you know what? Oh, pastor, it's, you know, I I have this car and it's $500 a month car payment. Maybe you need to sell that car and get a car that you can afford. Maybe you need to drive something that you can actually pay for. Here's another one. How about whenever you get your bonus at work? And so you get a bonus at work and the idea for many people is that's a down payment on something else that I'm going to borrow for. What if instead of whenever you get your Christmas bonus or the times you get to work overtime that you begin to put that on your debt? About February... Now, I can tell this. I can tell people who are going to get money back on their taxes from people who owe money on their taxes. Do you know how I can tell the difference? The way I can tell the difference is when they do their taxes. There's people who I know who they're going to get money back every year on their taxes. And so they're calling the church and saying, I want to make sure I get my financial, my giving records. As soon as they get their information, they send it in. Uh, They send it to the tax guys. If you owe money on taxes, you'll usually wait till mm, April 15th, hopefully maybe even the 16th, if it's a holiday or if it's a weekend. People want to get their thing in by April 15th. For a lot of people, that's actually a windfall for them. It feels like a windfall. Some people will get back $1,500, First of all, I would encourage you this. If you're getting that much money back, I would encourage you to go talk to your employer about changing the number of deductions that you have. So that the government is not getting a loan from you with no interest. Because whenever you take a loan from them, they make you pay interest. They're not giving you interest on the tax money that you have. What if that $1,500, instead of buying a big screen TV, what if you begin to put that on your debt? What if you begin to put that on your house? And so what we do is we take the money that these unexpected income that we get, And we begin to attack our debt and we find out that very quickly when you get a plan, when you make it your purpose that I'm going to get free from debt and you begin to write those things down, you will be surprised how God blesses you and the opportunities that he will give you to pay those things off. And oftentimes it moves very quickly whenever it happens. So we're going to pay off our debts. The reality of it is, is there's many people who when you get serious about paying off your debt and stick to it. There's many people who in a year or two can pay their debts off except for their mortgages. One of the other things I want to talk to us about is this. For a lot of people, we are teaching the next generation that it is normal to be in debt. I want to encourage you to begin to think about that. A typical young person will go to college. We send them off to college. They don't plan for it in advance. When they go to college, they get out of college and they go, Fifteen, sixteen thousand dollars a year. You need to have fun when you're in school. No, you don't. You need to get an education. You, she don't need to have fun in school. She needs to get an education. Kids are coming out of school, forty, fifty, sixty thousand dollars in debt. And mom and dad act like it's normal. Oh well, that's what you do, I guess. Not everybody's cut out for college. First of all, you can have a business. 
You can learn a trade. There's a lot of things you need to get an education. You need to get training. But there's a lot of things that you can, not all of you are meant for college. I want to, I want to encourage you. Some of you are meant for college. Some of you are meant for graduate school. But not everybody is. And so we give our kids, this is what we say to them. And you need a good car. You need a good car. I would hate for you to be driving somewhere in the evening and not have a good car. Oh, that would be terrible. And so we encourage them. Well, it's normal that, well, I can't afford a, I can't afford a good car. But they'll give you a loan. And so we have young people who are 21, 22 years old who already are $80,000 in debt. 80 grand in debt. That's seven times. That's, that's not seven. That's seven times about, that's almost seven times what my parents paid for their first house. My parents paid $12,500 for their house. And here's the reality. For many of us, young people will come out, one person come out of school Sixty, seventy, eighty thousand dollars in debt, driving around in a car that they can't afford. We think that's going to help them. You know what we've done? We've cursed them financially. We've set them up to fail. We've set them up to always be behind the eight ball. What if instead of that we said to our kids, you know what, guys, you're going to drive what we can afford. We're going to find a way to get you your education. If it's a trade school, if it's, a, if it's college, if it's a graduate school, we're going to find a way to get through that. But debt is not going to be a normal part of our lives. That's not what we're going to plan for. That's not going to be our plan A. That's not going to be our plan B. That's not going to be our plan C. Our plan is to get you a good start in life. And then they marry somebody whose parents told them the same stupid stuff. And so now we have a young couple who's married with $160,000 in debt. Can you imagine that? Then we got other problems because they can't afford to live anywhere. So they got to come home and live with you. Your son's going to have to come home and live with you. And you're like, I don't want him living with me. I don't mind him being there now, but I don't want him and his wife and kids. And then they're going to be mad at you. And you're going to be mad at them. And then the relatives, your grandmom is going to say, oh, you can't put that little guy out. He needs your help. Let's help them now on this side. Let's help them on this side. Let's give them a plan that says you don't have to be in debt. You don't have to be in bondage. Instead, let's set them up for success. The borrower is a what? He's a slave to the lender. I don't want my kids to be slaves. I don't want you to be slaves. Our Heavenly Father doesn't want us to be in bondage or in slavery. The next thing we do is we're going to build wealth. Make sure you're planning or you're saving for retirement. It's nicer to talk to this stuff to our high school students and to our college students and to the young people. It's much easier to talk to them than it is to talk to someone who's like 65. It's kind of tough when you're 65 to start building wealth. And I know that you're a good worker, but a lot of companies don't want you working for them when you're 80 years old. It's kind of tough. I don't want to see you have to work till you're 80. What we do is we begin to think about retirement if you start thinking about retirement when you're young, when you're young, not when you're old, what goes into that is some of you, the jobs that you're going to take, you begin to search out jobs that have retirement plans. You begin to search out companies and you think about those things. Because when I was a student, when I was a kid, no, someone just, my parents just said, you got to work hard. What? Uh, there's a lot of people who work hard, but don't necessarily get ahead. They didn't tell me you got to work smart. They just said, work hard. So you can work hard at the wrong thing. You can work hard at the wrong place. You can work hard and not get ahead. 
And so what I want to encourage you to do is you begin to look at companies or types of employment that will bless you in the future. You begin to look at companies when you, before you go to work somewhere, you say, well, what are you offering as far as retirement? What are you offering as far as a pension? What can I do there? One of the easiest ways to save for retirement is going to be, it's much easier to never see the money than to take the money, have it in your hands and give it back. Okay. And so one of the places that companies that you work for, you need to think about the companies that you work for. And many of the companies that you work for will have a 401k or something like that. The company will say, we will give you, we'll match the first 3%. We'll match the first 5%, the first 6%, whatever it is. Do you realize that when you do that, you can double your money instantaneously, instantaneously. So if you're not matching, if you're not saving something for retirement, if you're not maxing out what they're offering you, you you typically, if they match it dollar for dollar, you've doubled your money in an instant. There's not too many places where you can get that kind of return, 100% return instantaneously. You also lower your taxable income and money, once it's in your hands, it's much easier. It's much easier to save for retirement when you never see it than whenever it comes into your hand. Because it's like, ah, and then the government gets part of that. I would encourage you that we want to pay as little taxes. We want to be honest. How many of you think you're paying too little in taxes right now? Okay. I kind of doubted that. I'm just not giving Uncle Sam enough money. I think they would do a better job with my money than what I can. No. And so we want to encourage you. You begin to look at tax savings type things. You begin to look at what you're putting away in retirement. And the other thing I want to encourage you to do is the next time you get a raise... Before you take that raise, instead of finding, I can guarantee you, we could give you another $100 a week, another $200 a week, and you would have a place to spend it. Every one of us. There's not one of us that that if you had an extra $200 a week in your pocket, that you could not find something that you say, well, that would be good to spend it on. However, the next time you get a raise, I want to encourage you to begin to set that money aside, to plan for it to grow. These principles especially can make a difference in the lives of our young people. Like I say, when we do this when we're 70, it's a little harder. But if we start when we're young, the second thing I want to talk to you about is earning money. You know, there's two ways to earn money. What do you think the first way is? You work for it. I'm going to say this. The Bible is all for work. Work is an honorable thing. In fact, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10, it says... Even when we were with you, we gave you this suggestion. Is that what it says? What's it say? We gave you this rule. When we were with you, we established this boundary. We established this rule. The one who is unwilling to work, everybody else should take care of him. Is that what it says? The one who is unwilling to work, the man who will not work shall not eat. Here's the principle. Scripture is very clear. You do not have to feel sorry for someone who refuses to work. In fact, you should not feel sorry for them. If you don't work, you should be like really thin. (laughs) Really. If you refuse to work, I'm not talking about people who have a physical disability or people who have some kind of accident or things that they cannot work. But the Bible says if a man doesn't work, he shall not eat. That's what the scripture says. So it doesn't mean that if here's Fred over here who just says, I really don't, I don't really like that job. How many of you have had jobs that you didn't necessarily like? Huh? I, 
Let me see. I'm right there right now. All of us have had a job that we didn't like. All of us have had a part of our job that we didn't care for. It's good for us, though, because it teaches us discipline. And the Bible says that if a man refuses to work, he should not eat. Whenever he gets hungry enough, he'll start working. Unless, unless everybody jumps in and bails him out. And that's part of the problem in our society today. That's part of the problem in many families today. Mom and dad can't stand to see little Johnny doing without. And it happened when little Johnny was a kid. Little Johnny got everything he wanted all the time. And so what have we made out of little Johnny? We've made out of little Johnny an irresponsible bum. That's what we've made out of him. It's good for you to work. It's good for me to work. It's productive. It's, it's a great thing to work. And if we don't work, we shouldn't eat very much. The second way to make money is you can make your money work for you. That's when we start becoming master of our money. See, because for a lot of us, our money tells us we got to work 50 hours. We got to work 60 hours. We can't take the day off. Our money says to a lot of us, you can't have a break. But the reality of it is, is your money can work seven days a week. It can work 365 days a year. It doesn't need a vacation. It doesn't even need time off. In Matthew chapter 25, we find this portion of scripture where Jesus is speaking. He says this, to one, he gave five bags of gold to another two bags and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. Here's what I want you to notice. The one who had received five bags of gold went at once and did what? Put his money to work. He, what did he do? He went at once and put his money to work and gained five more bags. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's, what did, the, what did the first guy who had five talents do? He went at once. He didn't delay. As soon as he got it, he put his money to work. What does Jesus say the master said to him? When he came back and started talking to him, here comes the guy back. He gave him five. He comes back. He returns. He now has 10. What does the master say to him? Well done, good and faithful servant. He said, good job. What does he say to the guy who had two talents, two bags of money, and he brings them back, and he now has four? What does he say to them? Well done. done. The other guy comes back, and he brings back his one talent. What does the master say to him? You wicked, lazy servant. That's what the master said to him. You knew what I expect from you. You should have at least taken the money and put it on interest so that you'd have something more to give to me. Now, does the master say this? This is what a lot of people think. They think that this is what Jesus would do. They think Jesus would say, oh, it's not fair. Your brother, you got 10. And your brother only has one. That's not fair. Why don't we take four of yours and give it to your brother? And why don't we take the one who has four? Well, you got four now. Now it's kind of more even. Is that what he says? Absolutely not. But that's the way what a lot of Christians think. We think that, oh, it's not fair. Why should you have 10? 
Why he should have 10 is because he works for 10. Because if he, you give him 10, he's going to turn around and make 20 out of it. You give this other brother, the dumb brother, you give him one, he's going to hide that. He's going to lose that. You can give him four and he'll squander that. What does the master do? Does he take from the one who has 10 and give it to the brother who has one? No. What does he do? He goes over to the one who has one and grabs it out of his hand and takes it. And he comes over and he gives it to the one who has 10. Hmm. I want you to think about that. I want to encourage you to change your theology about what God thinks. God is not necessarily concerned about, oh, wait a minute. Here, I've given you this and you squander it. Let me give you some more. He doesn't waste his resources. So what I want to encourage you to do is whenever God's given you anything, this applies to every part of our life, spiritual, financial, every part of our lives. Whatever God has given you, a lot of us aren't necessarily five talent people. Some of us might be three talenters. Maybe if we're lucky, we might be a four talent person. You might be a two talent person. But I don't think any of us are one talent. I think God expects all of us. I think he sees good in us. And he expects all of us to take what he's given us and return to him something more. He expects us to take what he's given us and to do something with it. So God does not commit. He doesn't take from the one who has 10 and give it to the one who has one. He doesn't take from the one who now has four and say, you got to share some with your brother. No. He says, you're a wicked, lazy servant. Give me that. Can't trust you with it. Here's some principles. Some of you say, well, pastor, I don't have a whole lot. How many of you think you could come up with five bucks a day? Some of you are like, no, I can't. Well, let me tell you, get a job mowing lawns. You can come up with five bucks. If you mow a lawn, 365 times five, you can mow maybe two lawns and you can come up with $5 a day. I know 12% is high, but let's just, for just imagination's sake, let's say you take $5 a day and invest it at 12%. After five years, you're going to have $12,250. That's pretty cool. $12,250 for just five bucks a day. The difference of that is, is you carrying a lunch versus you going to McDonald's for lunch. The difference for a lot of people is that coffee that you have. For some of you, it's like basic cable compared to the advanced cable. When you got all the movie channels that you probably shouldn't have anyhow, somebody say thank you, Jesus, on that one too, Pastor. Appreciate it. I'm going to get that stuff out of my house. After 10 years, you'd have $34,505. That don't sound like a lot. I mean, 34000 is a lot, but you're thinking, man, I got to do that for 10 years. After 20 years, you have $148,388. That's pretty good. After 20 years. Notice how it starts to jump. It's really the miracle of compound interest. It can either work for you or work against you. You want interest to work for you, just in case you're not sure of that. Look to the person next to you and say, you want it to work for you, not against you. Think about this. If I say no to a specialty cup of coffee from the time I'm 20 to the time I'm 50 and invest that money and get a 12% return, I'd have $524,244. Is your coffee that good? Make some at home. I'll get the free stuff at work. 40 years, one million seven hundred sixty-four thousand. $716. If you start from the time you're 20 
and go to the time you're 70. For those of you who are getting older, you realize that time goes really quick. 50 years from the time, or from the time you, you get out of high school to the time you retire, 5858750 dollars. Let me ask you, what could you do with five million? Could you tell your money where to go? If you have five million, you could retire a long time before. The cool thing is, is when you come into a certain place, you might not want to retire because you're working because you're doing something that you love. Money's not telling you where to go. You're able to go and work for a mission. You're able to go work for a ministry. You're able to go do things that you would not be able to take care of your family and do, but you're able to do it because money is working for you. Can you imagine the ministries that you could help? Can you imagine the interest off of $5 million? And that's a person who, puts, who says no to a specialty cup of coffee from the time they're 18 to the time they're 68. Is your coffee really that good? Some people think it is. Most of us don't. Five million eight hundred fifty-eight thousand. I want to say this to you. If you're working 80 hours a week, you need to stop it. In this area, people work hard. In this area, there's not usually a problem with work ethic in Lancaster County. You can do that for a little while, but you can't do it forever. Because if you keep working so much and so hard, many of you will lose your family, you'll lose your health, you'll lose your kids. It's one thing if we, for a period of time, we make a commitment and we do something like that for a period of time. That should not be a lifestyle. I'm going to go so far as to say that it becomes sinful because you're neglecting your greatest treasure that the Lord has entrusted to you. You're being a poor steward of true riches. But what if you allow money to work for you? How do we gain wealth? Really, it's money and time and consistency is going to produce wealth. We saw it there. $5 a day invested continually. It produces wealth. What's the Bible say about investing real quickly? The first thing I want to tell you about the Bible says about investing is don't try to get rich quick. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 9. Because all of us would like to do that, wouldn't we? Wouldn't we all like to go out next week and have five million? Wouldn't we like to find like the latest tip? Oh, your cousin, your neighbor who doesn't have anything, he's telling you, I found this tip, this is where you make it all. The first thing is, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 9, says, Those who want to get rich fall into temptation in a trap. And into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. What we're saying to you is not about getting rich. What we're saying to you is about stewardship. And that's something that's completely different than this get rich quick. Okay? This is about saying God has entrusted me with something and I'm going to make the most out of what he gives me. First of all, we need to think long term. We need to think long term. Don't think I'm going to get rich tomorrow. Don't think I'm, you know, I'm going to say, I'm going to start this this week and everything's going to fall into place and I'll be able to retire by the weekend. That's usually not going to work. So we need to think long term that I'm going to set up principles in my life that will honor God, that will enable me to be in a position where I can help other people. And I can be in a position where I can bless other people along with that. Don't risk things you can't afford to lose. Don't risk things you can't afford to lose. 
Most of you can afford to lose the $5 a day specialty coffee. It would be okay if you didn't have that. You may not be able to afford to lose your house. So don't enter into risk on things that you can't afford to do. The second thing we want to say to you that the scripture says would be this idea of don't put all your eggs in one basket. A few years ago, before 2008, the housing market was going through the roof, wasn't it? Around here, you bought a house in the early 2000s or in the late 90s, and by 2008, houses were doubled. So many people were jumping into the real estate market because people were making crazy money. And then in 2008, the bottom kind of dropped out of it. And for most people, if you bought a house in 2008, typically for most people, you could not sell your house now for what you paid for it. It would be very difficult to get the money that you paid. All of my neighbors around me, we built in our development, all of them, every one of them have lost money. The ones who got in there, some of them have lost a bunch of money. What we'd say to you is don't put all your eggs in one basket. Don't just invest in real estate. Don't just invest in stock. Ecclesiastes 11.2 says invest in seven adventures. Yes, in eight. You do not know what disaster may come upon the land. So what they'll really say to us is diversify where you put your money. The third thing the scripture would tell us is don't invest in things you don't understand. Proverbs 24.7 says, by wisdom a house is built. And through understanding it is established. Through knowledge, its rooms are filled with rare and beautiful treasures. Hmm. Now, some of you say, Pastor, why are you talking to us about investing for the future? Shouldn't you be preaching about getting saved? Well, yeah, absolutely. We should be preaching about getting saved. But we also need to talk to you about once you're saved, what are you doing with what God has given to you? Two weeks ago when we started a series, many of you, you're going to have millions of dollars go through your hands. You're going to have millions of dollars, millions, will flow through your hands during your work life. Millions of dollars. Look to the person next to you and say, millions of dollars are going to go through my hands. Millions. I'm I'm serious. Millions. Some of you don't believe me. I promise you, in your lifetime, millions of dollars are going to go through your hands. Here's the principle. The principle is this. What are you going to do with what God has given you? Money cannot solve spiritual problems. Money solves money problems. You can have spiritual problems and have money, and money can't fix them. But money can be used in spiritual ways. If you have a relationship issues, money can't solve relationship issues. But money can help people with their relationships. Money can be invested in people's relationships. Money can be used in a way, if you don't have money, it can cause problems in your relationships. Many divorces come as a result of financial issues and problems. If the husband has to work, has to be gone 70 hours a week, and the wife has to work 50 hours a week, you don't think that causes some problems at home? Huh? So money can't solve, it can't solve a spiritual problem. It can't solve a relational problem. A spiritual problem is solved through spiritual things. But your money can be invested in spiritual things. A lack of money can cause relational problems. And so what if we begin today, what if we begin to say, God, I want to be in a position where I'm going to use what you give me to advance your kingdom. Lord, I want to be master. I don't want money to control me. I want to be master over my finances. I want to be able, whenever I feel a burden to give, 
when I see a need, when someone says on Facebook, my vacuum cleaner broke down. And you're like, well, let's just all pray. You don't have to pray. You can go give them a vacuum cleaner. Wouldn't that be nice? But you don't have to give them an old one, a used one, a beat up one. Can you imagine being in a place where you'd have the money that you could say, hey, I know this is legitimate. I know you're working hard. I know you're doing the best you can. Here's a vacuum cleaner. You don't, you don't have to tell them it's from you. Can you imagine being in a place where you teach your kids? Imagine this. If your kids never had a single debt, if they never paid one penny in interest, what if your kids from the time they're young, and so what if God puts you in a place for your life? And then the other thing is, is for the next generation. This is where it's really important. It's really important for the next generation of what they can do for the kingdom of God. Here's the reality. Then whenever missionaries come in, we wouldn't have to give them, oh, okay, here's a thousand bucks. If you'll put the, to work the principles that God is, is giving to us today. Many of you, imagine this. Imagine above your tithe that you could write out a check for $1,000 a month to whatever missionary you wanted. The thing is, if, here's the thing, to whatever ministry that you wanted. What if this, all the money that you're paying in debt, all the money that you're paying in mortgage, you know, our building a brighter future, if you could erase your debt and have your money work, making money, you wouldn't have to work 70 hours a week. You could work 35 and spend your time ministering somewhere, volunteering somewhere, helping somewhere. And you teach your kids. I wouldn't give them everything either. I don't think we should give them everything. We're going to make them work hard. But we're going to reward if you got the dumb brother who hides his talents and doesn't do what's right. You don't give him squat. <laughs> ha, this is unfair. No, this is life, son. This is life. I'm not going to reward you for being dumb. I'm not going to reward you for wasting and squandering things. I'm not going to do that. But whenever someone's working hard, your kids are working hard, you give them a boost. Here, let me help you. Let me help you with the down payment for a house because I know that you won't waste it. Let me help you with some of the a new business that you want to start. Let me help you with not only to your kids, but down to your grandkids because the Bible says that that's what a wise man does. He leaves an inheritance for his children's children. Let's go back to our very first verse that we read. Dishonest money dwindles away, but whoever gathers it Money, little by little, makes it grow. Next verse. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. That's like, ah, pastor, this takes so long to make this work. I don't know if I can do it. I get tired. I just want to go out and buy my coffee. I want to go out and get my things. But longing fulfilled is a tree of life. Next verse. Whoever scorns instructions will pay for it. Whoever scorns instruction. I don't need this information. I'm going to do okay by myself. Okay. But whoever... respects a command is rewarded i want to encourage you not because i'm saying it to you but because the principles that we're teaching you are scriptural the crazy thing is is as we invest a little bit of time and energy and following god's word for our finances we find that he has a way of blessing us that just will blow our minds so let me pray of you father i pray in jesus name i thank you for the faithfulness of your people I thank you, Lord, for their love for you and their desire to serve you and their willing hearts and their generous spirits. Now, Father, I pray that you would bless them and prosper them. I pray, God, that you would take them through each one of these steps, Lord, that we talked about. I pray pray that that we'd be in a place where we can give to you, Lord. 
I pray that we would minimize what we spend and that we'd have money on hand whenever difficulty comes, that we'd get out of debt, that we would build wealth, Lord, and that we'd be able to fulfill the promise that you spoke over Abraham, that through you, all nations of the earth we blessed. I pray that as a church and as a people, that all nations of the world, Lord, you've done it before. You've used America in powerful ways, but I pray that you would multiply that many times over that all nations of the earth will be blessed through the church because the church applies God's principles to their lives. Now bless us, Lord, and make us a blessing. Lord, I pray that you'd bring us to a period of time where every single one of us will be able to give our tithe and give it generously because we don't have any other debts hanging over us. And that each person in this congregation, I pray that each of them would be at a place, Lord, where they could give at least $100 a week to someone in need, to someone who doesn't have enough, pregnancy shelter, Lord, to an organization that is spreading the gospel, that's doing good work for you. I pray that you would prosper them, Lord, and make them a blessing. And we'll thank you and praise you for that. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen.